You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Welcome to the newest edition of the StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Today we're going to talk about StatCast. We're also going to talk about the St. Louis Cardinals. 51-26, and 26, they're on pace to win 108 games. They're on pace to have the best run prevention season of the last 100 years. The Cardinals are playing so well that the Pittsburgh Pirates have the third best winning percentage in all of baseball, and they're still eight games out in the Central. Joining me today, senior writer of Sports on Earth, noted Cardinals fan, Will Leach. Will, how are you? Uh, very well. I will uh, come on and talk with you about the Cardinals Anytime you want. <laughs> well, when they're, when they're I, playing I, like this, I, I assume talking, so. <laughs> yes, I was talk, I've been talking about the Cardinals for 25 minutes before you called. So you're just kind of catching me midstream in a, in a normal Cardinals conversation. How, uh, I guess, fun, I suppose, is the word. The Cardinals are on pace to win the go to the postseason for about the 74th year in a row. They're doing it without one of the best pitchers in baseball, Adam Wainwright. They're doing it without their first baseman, Matt Adams. They've done it without Matt Holliday for much of the season. Nothing stops this team, and really nothing has stopped this team for the last decade and a half or so. How does this keep happening? Well, you know, I know that there's the idea of the Cardinals' devil magic and, and all that sort of business, but really this is, this, you know, this, a lot of their good fortune, as, as the saying goes, has been the product uh, of design. You know, the, certainly... One of the main things that John Mozeliak has always kind of set up as the Cardinals general manager is to give himself as many options as possible. To kind of, start. he doesn't really worry about uh, holes that the teams have. And, uh, he doesn't like to. He doesn't like to make deals out of weakness or, or make decisions out of weakness. And because of that, you know, when Adams got hurt, he had the backup plans of Reynolds, and also has uh, guys if Reynolds doesn't cut it, he has Xavier Scruggs who's come up, and uh, or he, or he can make a deal. You know, and with with Wainwright. You know, it's funny, going into the season, the big concern was, what are the Cardinals going to do with all of the pitching that they have? How are they going to fit these guys in? And if Jaime Garcia comes back healthy, we're not going to be able to fit anyone in there. Well, as anyone that's ever dealt with pitching knows, that that tends to get resolved relatively quickly. And, you know, one of the things that – that the, the key to all that is the Cardinals always are, are deep. They always – you know, they always have guys ready to go. You know, one of the things that's been interesting about the Cardinals in the wake of, say, uh, Matt Adams' injury – Mark Reynolds has started to slow down, but they've been able to get a guy like Xavier Scruggs to come up. And what's interesting is a lot of these guys that they bring up like Scruggs in the past, like Matt Carpenter or Alan Craig, these are guys that are not really the top tier, are not considered top tier prospects, but are kind of maturing and peaking right at the time where the Cardinals can use them. You know, Scruggs is 27, 28 years old. Really, this is kind of his run in here. We saw this with Craig as well. Not your traditional prospect, but guys that have come and raised in that Cardinal system and kind of all one of the great things the Cardinals have done very well, uh, even in the Jeff Lunau reign, and, and, and has been to have a unified thought process. Clearly, there's a, when you are drafted in the Cardinal system, you, there is a direct line from what you're being told top to bottom until you get to the major leagues. And while obviously talent uh, makes a huge difference in this, one of the things that Mozilla has been able to do because of, because of kind of using that pop li- pipeline has been able to Make sure that, like, even last year, if you look, if you look last year, the, de- the tragic death of Oscar Tavera, too, this was the top prospect in the Cardinals organization. He'd been hyped for many, many years. It was obviously a horrible situation. What Mosellock was able to do, he, 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 somehow he even had a plan, <laughs> and he was able to make a trade from position to trade. That, to me, is the key for what Mosellock is doing and what the Cardinals are able to do is to have lots of options at every position so when the worst-case scenario happens, they're prepared. Well, you, you know, you talked about trading from positional strength. So a great example of that was over the winter. They trade Shelby Miller, 
and Tyrell Jenkins for Jason Hayward. And that was one of the trades that I thought was a really great example of a trade that made sense for both sides. I couldn't really, you know, kill it for either side. It, it made perfect sense. And then, of course, Shelby Miller goes off and has an incredible first half for the Braves. Hayward started off kind of slowly, although he's been much better lately. How do you feel about that trade now as opposed to how you did at the time? Yeah, you know, I feel like uh, on one hand, the Cardinals and Miller had pitched well for the Cardinals, but one of the things he's done differently for the Braves that he, that he was kind of not doing for the Cardinals, he's kind of figured out his off-speed stuff. He threw almost entirely, like a shocking amount of fastballs, which is kind of, you know, the Cardinals, uh, they preach that for the pitchers a lot. Lance Lynn uh, famously throws tons of, tons of fastballs for them. Uh, but with Miller, there was a sense that if someone was going to go and they, uh, from that rotation, that was already in. It was going to be him because they have been very devoted and committed to what Carlos Martinez is and been able to do for a long time. And I think we're seeing the results of that this year. When it came to Hayward, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think that, yes, the Cardinals gave up a lot of control in both Jake and, and Miller. On the other hand, you know, the Cardinals are trying to win a World Series right now in a way that the Braves aren't. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people got a little over done with the notion of, hey, the Cardinals, they always find ways to sign these guys. Like when Mark McGuire came over and traded or, or Matt Holiday came over and traded, they, they kept him. But it's worth noting that, like, you know, this is this notion that the Cardinals have some secret sauce to get their free agents to stay when they trade over them beforehand, that secret sauce tends to be money. <laughs> like they pay top dollar for Matt Holiday, and they'll have to, and they know they'll have to pay top dollar for Jason top dollar for Jason Hayward. It's hard to see where the supposed bargains come in for them. They knew what they were doing, and I think the nice thing about this trade, what, you know, and we've seen in, uh, this year, they have options in the outfield even if Hayward does not sign. I think that there's this sense that if Hayward doesn't resign with the Cardinals, I think it's way too early. The Cardinals are in a good position either way because if he, if he has the kind of average year that if you take his great his poor start and his great play recently and kind of combine them, you have the career Jason Hayward numbers. If he gets that going, Maybe they can get a discount on him, and if not, they'll have this incredible season, and it will help them in this year. I don't think the trade is a failure, even if Hayward leaves. And one of the main reasons for that is, again, dealing from a position of strength. Outfield is a strength for the Cardinals. It might not have necessarily, however, been a strength for the Cardinals in 2015. Uh, Randall Gritchick, I'm sure we'll talk about him, uh, was probably not ready, probably still isn't ready to be uh, an everyday player. And uh, at least probably a year or two away, Stephen Piscotti, another player, trying to get the hip over power, one of the top prospects. These are all outfielders that might be ready in 2016, but weren't going to be ready in 2015. And the Cardinals won a World Series in 2015. So I think that while giving up control of Miller, who I think ultimately a lot of Cardinals uh, insiders and fans think Jenkins may end up actually being more of a, of, of a problem for the Cardinals uh, uh, trading away than, than Miller. But the idea is if to win this year, you wanted a guy like Hayward, and then you had options in maybe 2016. Yeah, I think it says a lot about their pitching staff that you can trade away a guy like Miller who goes off to Atlanta and has such a great season and you don't even regret it because look at the other pitching that they've had. Now, I wonder if you're over my shoulder looking at my notes because you mentioned Randall Gritchick, who I absolutely want to talk about. He has turned out to be one of my favorite StackCast players of the season. Uh, And I think that's interesting because for years I thought he was doomed to be the guy always remembered as being selected one pick ahead of Mike Trout. And that's all we'd ever remember him for. He ends up coming over to the Cardinals a couple years ago in the David Freeze trade, and he's really a fascinating player. He strikes out about 30% of the time, which is a lot. I mean, he does not make a lot of contact. But here, I'm going to read a leaderboard to you. When he connects, this is exit velocity leaders with a minimum of 50 plate appearances. Number one, Giancarlo Stenton. Number two, Randall Gritchick. Which is, like, insane to think this guy, who's like a fourth outfielder-ish, he's ahead of Jock Peterson, Miguel Cabrera, Jose Bautista. Everybody else is not Giancarlo Stanton. What have you seen from him that shows you that he's got this power? 
clearly, you know, the Angels will be known as the team that foolishly selected, uh, got, kept Mike Trout and uh, traded Randall Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a terrible choice. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> yeah but the, the thing about Griffith that's interesting, of course, he was a throw-in in that deal. I think that uh, uh, Mosaic has kind of talked about how the goal was to get Peter Borges, who came over in that, in that trade. David Fries had kind of run his course as, as much as, you know, again, to, another, to speak another strength of the Cardinals organization, they can trade away probably their greatest postseason hero of all time. And everyone was like, yeah, they, would, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. There's, there's a lot of faith, I think, that they have with the, the, the manager has with the fan base. When it comes to Gritchick, it's interesting. Cause I, yeah, he strikes out 30% of the time. And, but when he does, you know, they, the, the, what was interesting about Gritchick was, you know, I think coming into this year, he was thought to be a fourth outfielder and maybe with a year of seasoning. He could, if they weren't able to sign Hayward, they could somehow use him. In, in right field, maybe him and Piscotti, or figure out something in those regards. But this spring, he really exploded onto the scene, you know. And it was interesting. The Cardinals, before really the, we, we were we were discussing the Statcast data, the Cardinals had certainly talked about how that you know the thing that the Cardinals system is lacking more than anything else is power. It's why they've switched. They've actually asked even Piscotti to kind of change his swing a little bit to, to be more of a power hitter. It's causing some trouble in the early going, but it's starting to show some benefits now. The card, that's the weakness of the Cardinal system, and as you know, it's a weakness throughout baseball. Did they imagine him being the second, the second most powerful hitter in baseball? I don't know if we saw that, but certainly, you know, the ball has always jumped off his bat, and and for the stat kind numbers to show that is not a major surprise to the Cardinals. Now, the issue with Grinchik, and this is frankly the issue with him last year, it's why he didn't really stick in the majors until he kind of uh, got all the postseason run that, that a lot of Cardinal fans at the time were hoping was going to go to Oscar DeBarrett. His plate approach obviously has some concerns. Uh, you know, the, he's always been a fastball hitter. If you look, you know, uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're going to get more extra velocity, velocity off fastballs, but Grichik really struggles with off-speed stuff. He's kind of done that. He's been kind of known for that. That was actually one of the concerns that uh, the, one of the reasons the Angels kind of packaged him in that deal in the first place. Uh, Viva Albertos, the great uh, Cardinals uh, independent side, really, they've kind of compared the current incarnation of Grichik uh, not to say what he may or may not be later, but they compare him to a Lamborghini and the idea that, like, he is a wonderful toy to have. He's got all this power. He plays terrific defense. He's fast. He's, but you don't want to drive a Lamborghini every day. <laughs> and right now, Grichik, they're playing, they're playing Grichik now every day because Holiday is hurt. When Holiday comes back, you know, if you look at, obviously when you hit the ball as hard as Grichik does, your, your batting average of balls in place is going to be a little bit, a little bit higher. But there's... Striking out 30% of the time, I have to say, that's, that's, that's a number. No one's going to throw him fastballs. <laughs> and uh, we've seen what he can do with them. But, like, I'm not convinced. As, certainly the power is there more than uh, the Cardinals thought, at least coming into the spring training. But the plate approach is still a problem, and I think it's going to remain a problem, I think. Uh, and it's something that, obviously, they realized such a, had, a, had, a, had a, such a weapon in him they weren't going to put him in AAA this year. But there, it, it is to be noted that, you know, unless he can play center field, and that's kind of up for grabs as well. When Holiday comes back, he still may be in that fourth outfielder uh, uh, aspect because the play the play discipline's not there. But and uh, but you know, this is this is baseball. This is how people adjust. Eventually, he's going to have to adjust to the curveball. But certainly, we see what he can do with the fastball, and particularly to the opposite field. One of the things that's really kind of amazing his swing. He's got power to right center that that I haven't seen from a from a Cardinal hitter in a long time. It's, it's pretty impressive, and the Cardinals were excited to get him, but I'm not sure they quite knew what they had. And to be honest, a lot of them still not quite. Sure. I, I still think they're not quite sure what they have. 
You know, what's interesting about this new data is I don't think people outside of St. Louis or outside of Cardinals fans would necessarily have been paying much attention to Grishuk this year because he's been, you know, pretty good. He hasn't been stellar. But because I keep seeing him pop up on this exit velocity leaderboard, it's really shined a spotlight on him that probably, you know, nationally wouldn't have been there otherwise. Yeah, and, and, what, what, and certainly, you know, it's funny to think, too, because this is still, you know, he was, he was up for a little bit last year. We forget, you know. It's interesting that Grichik is still kind of this obscure character considering he was the Cardinals' starting right fielder in the playoffs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he did get those at-bats that, that, that went to that – were, that Cardinals fans were hoping were going to go to Tavares. But certainly the Grichik were seeing – remember, he, this, he had a home run off Clayton Kershaw. Uh, oh, in, in how could I forget? In one of the uh, in LDS <laughs> last year. So, uh, you know, there is – he certainly had power for a while. But, you know, he's, he's just a different kind of player than the Cardinals usually have. They usually kind of have – you know, uh, hitting coach John Mabry is kind of famous for, for and I think, to some criticism of Cardinal fans, famous for being more of a contact, don't worry about power, line drive double uh, kind of hitters. Grichik is, that's, that's why they, the Lamborghini thing kind of fits. He's not, he's so different than what the average Cardinal hitter usually profiles as, that see how he fits, you know. And, but, but for a team of the Cardinals that needs power that badly, you know, his approach is so different than the average Cardinals player, but the power is so impressive that uh, it's, it's made for a fascinating – it's really kind of a fascinating thing to see where he fits in. Because, you know, if he can play center field, I think you may see him in the lineup uh, even when Holiday comes back. But if not, you know, the Cardinals also have Peter Borges and uh, John Jay, two uh, Borges particularly, uh, solid center fielders. I, I think until I think it's going to be interesting to see what what happens when holiday when holiday comes back. But certainly, well, it's certainly been a surprise for everyone to realize. Wow, the Cardinals have Jason Hayward and Matt Carpenter and Matt Holiday and Randall Grichuk hits the ball harder than all of them. It's certainly been a, a fascinating thing to discover. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have to have you know stories out of nowhere like that if you're going to be a team that's going to be on pace to win 108 games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but you know, this is why. Listen, the Angels, the Cardinals knew they were getting power. The Angels knew he had power. It's just you know. You wonder if the Angels a little bit. They see how they see Grichik's strength, but when he's standing next to Mike Trout, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard for that those plate uh, approach issues not to stand out pretty glaring. <laughs> well, all right, let's get into uh, Statcast a little bit. You wrote uh, for Sports on Earth last April, so it's one of the earliest po- public Statcast pieces I've been able to find. It's about 15 months or so old. You, I believe, were in the kind of a, an unveiling that we did here at MLB.com. Yeah. And so, in this piece, you you asked a question, and later on, you you had an answer, and I just want to read this to you, and I want to see if you still feel the same way now. Your question at first is, I worried, would StackCast get in the way? Would it give me information I didn't want? Would it just aggravate me? And later on you wrote, this is a tool to just show you what happened in a way you couldn't possibly have understood before. Now that we're you know, almost a year into this thing, do you still feel that way, or have, have your opinion, has your opinion changed at all? Uh, no, I actually, I've become increasingly comfortable with it to a point where, you know, one of the things... You know, I, not to not to, to denigrate maybe the way that other some some other uh, people may use uh, some some new technology, but one of the you know one of the things that's great about StatCast is it doesn't actually when it's integrated into broadcast, it doesn't actually get in the way and and you know it, it's used by people who understand it rather than maybe trying to use a strike zone dra- graphic just to get a rise out of the viewer theoretically speaking. And one of the things that's great for me about StatCast is it gives me. It gives me insight on things that I sense were true, but understand better now. I think Grichik's power is one of them. Uh, Jordan Walden, I think in that first game, uh, you saw Jordan Walden, the, the, the kind of uh, Mike Shannon, the Cardinals broadcaster, called it a hitch in his giddy up, which is really the best <laughs> way to describe the way that Jordan Walden throws baseball. He just kind of stops and goes forward, and that 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 shows kind of how uh, the perceived velocity. I think is, is a to me that is one of the most 
now that we have perceived velocity, every time I see miles per hour uh, that's not perceived velocity, I'm like, oh, well, that doesn't tell me anything. Well, <laughs> like, it, 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 it's interesting in the same way that when we, you know, I've been a baseball fan long enough to, that I remember when Sabermetric was first, Sabermetric was first coming and, me, and being skeptical, like, what, a walk is as good of a hit? Why are we paying attention to, on base percentage? You know, the, the early kind of reaction to that, and then suddenly you're like, oh, Wait, why am I paying attention to batting average? Why am I paying attention to RBI? The way that kind of bail uh, is kind of taken away from your eyes. One of the things that's really fun about game about uh, uh, this for me is this notion of wow, I don't trust regular velocity anymore. <laughs> like it doesn't actually tell me anything. I need to know perceived velocity and, and to know to know RPMs on some of these pitches and spin. For me, that is it, it. Almost instantly has made it something that I look for in a, bo- in, a, in a broadcast and miss when it's not there. And and we just, and as you know, this is just getting started uh, in a lot of ways. And I really think it's funny. Grichik really is a great example. And your point is dead on. The notion that we're discussing, Grichik is seen as more of a of a top-shelf, high-ceiling player because of Sackass than he was coming into the season. And, and to me, that's that's incredibly exciting and, and kind of a new way to look at things. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I find it the only, my only real problem with Sackass now is it reminds me a little bit of how I wish I could have seen Michael Jordan play in HD, <laughs> and that now I'm just like, oh, I want to know what Willie Mays was doing when he was <laughs> when, when he's going after the Vic Rotoma. Like to me, it it kind of opened up things in the past I wish Sackass would have kind of been there for. But uh, uh, who knows? Listen, I I will never doubt technology. I have no doubt. That in 15 years we will in fact be able to go back into baseball history <laughs> and see how fast that ball was going when Randy Johnson destroyed that bird. Yeah, we're actually, That's gonna, actually one of the other things I want to know. We're going to be able to tell you what angle Babe Ruth pointed when he called the shot in the 1932 World that's Series. A, that, that's excellent. I, the, the bird, though, seriously, like, like <laughs> the, the bird. I would love to know just how. Uh, I guess I don't wouldn't love to know, but I'd be fascinated to know just what uh, velo- what the, what the perceived velocity. To that bird one. Well, time travel is on the docket, long, long, long uh, term. But you know, we're get gonna on, get there. Get on it. Well, so you mentioned Jordan Walden, and he's a perfect example. I, actually, in the piece you wrote, you referenced uh, John Smoltz, who was on the air, and he put it: Jordan Walden is what Statcast is all about. And I think that that's kind of a perfect example because if you just watch the guy, you see him do this hop step, or you know, however Mike Shannon called it, uh, and you've kind of just intuitively known that's got to help him in some way. He, like he's getting further off the mound. So now we actually have some numbers. Uh, these numbers are not actually public yet, but I'm going to tell them to you anyway. He has four, uh, two of the top six pitches as far as extension. Right? So what that means is how, clo- how far off the mound he throws the ball. So his four-seamer, he throws at 7.6 feet off of the mound, which means he's not throwing at 60 feet 6 inches. He's throwing at 60 feet 6 inches minus 7 feet. And that, right. that helps him add you know, almost two miles an hour on his perceived velocity. He's you know, very similar to Carter Capps, and I had Ben Lindbergh on a couple weeks ago to talk about Carter Capps because he's kind of the same way. That gets him almost up to 100 miles an hour, which you know, if, if there's anything that will help you get batters out, it's throwing it closer to the plate and throwing it so that it looks even harder. <laughs> yeah, and you know, another guy that, that I've, I've certainly uh, had some understanding about is Jaime Garcia. You know, we talked a little earlier about the Cardinals, kind of how they've been able to succeed with Wainwright being out. Garcia is pitching at an eighth level right now, and this is something that you've heard hitters talk about, uh, both on the Cardinals and off, because Garcia's had so many injuries. People have kind of forgotten that he's got a spin on his curveball, and really even his two-seamer and his four-seamer, that is different than most people. The ball, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to hear the scouts or broadcasters or, or Mike Matheny say, oh, if the ball just feels, looks different coming out of his hand. He's got, he's got stuff that nobody else has. 
but one of the things that's exciting about this is I can actually see that now. I don't have to just take their word for it. And it confirms what they've been saying, which to me is an exciting thing that, like, it's, it's weird sometimes to see resistance to stuff like this because it's really confirming what – it's confirming and quantifying and cementing what a lot of people have been saying for a long time. I think Garcia is a great example of that. Oh, and, I, and I can tell you, we can quantify that. I've got the numbers right here. His, quantify it. I will. His uh, curveball, the average spin rate on a curveball is a little bit over 2,200 RPM. For Garcia, 2,777, 2,777. That's the fifth highest spin rate among starters. And obviously, I think that's helping his curveball. But what's interesting to me is, you know, you mentioned he's had so many injuries. He just, he's only made 16 starts the previous two seasons. And one of the things I've been interested in is, does health impact spin rate? You know, and obviously, he's only made seven starts this year. We don't have enough information to say that. But so far in this small sample, it sounds like it, it doesn't. He didn't lose that. He might lose some velocity, but he can still spin the ball in the same way he ever did. And I think that's a big component of why he's been able to really step up and help that rotation. Yeah, and, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, it you know, there's been a lot of frustration among Cardinal fans over Garcia just because there's been so many injuries, particularly right after he kind of got a big contract. But, you know, in a lot of ways, now, let's see, you know Jeff Passan, he's got a book coming out about pitcher injuries and how, and how, how, the, how the different kind of pitches, the different kind of spin the pitches have can affect players' health. And I think, to, to me, it's almost like the vindication of, well, you know, the reason, one of the main reasons Garcia has been hurt so much is he has an incredible spin on his baseball. He, he throws it in a way not a lot of people can. And to see how those things are connected, I think, is, is over the, as the years come up, uh, we'll, I think we'll be able to not only uh, nail down spin and stuff like that, but maybe even potentially uh, predict some injuries with some people, which I think is, the, is maybe the, the golden ticket. That's the, that's the thing that everyone's trying to do with baseball. Yeah, yeah I tell you, if either one of us can figure out how to predict injuries, we won't be talking about baseball. We'll be running the entire sport ourselves. I will be owning baseball. That will be very <laughs> fun. That will, okay, well, here's my prediction. Jaime Garcia is going to get hurt again. I'm ready to run baseball. Well, you, you know, if you're going to go out on a limb like that, then I don't know how to help you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, well, just quickly, uh, before we let you go, talk about Michael Waka, who is, I believe, starting on Friday night against the San Diego Padres in the MLB Network Showcase game. Waka also had shoulder injuries and missed a good chunk of last year. And he's come back this year, and he's really been phenomenal. And I, I dug into his numbers a little bit. Uh, part of it is his changeup. He's throwing a changeup so hard, you wouldn't expect a changeup to be averaging almost 88 miles an hour, which his is. The only three guys who have a harder perceived change velocity, Strasburg, Felix Hernandez, Carlos Carrasco, uh, that's a pretty impressive company to be in. And he's really been one of the best starters in the National League, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and, you know, the changeup has always been his pitch. Even even coming out of college, the the, the idea was always the changeup was major league ready. The, the, the fastball was was pretty much there. It wasn't, it wasn't crazy Carlos Martinez or, uh, or, or, or the Chapman level, but certainly it was a, it was a high level, uh, fastball and the changeup was ready. And I think, you know, you've seen this here. He's working in a little bit more curveballs and he's, and he's, he's come back a little bit. One of the interesting things at the beginning of this year, when he really took off, he actually wasn't striking out a lot of guys. It was actually, and, you know, you hear, you hear the Cardinals say that they pitched the contact and they're very, they, they're still, Derek Lilliquist is the pitching coach now, but he's still kind of of the day, of the Dave Duncan school. So they said not to worry about it. The strikeouts will come. We've seen the la- uh, in the last couple of starts that actually starting to happen a little bit. But you know, the main issue for the Cardinals and the main reason, if I feel like if they do make a deal at the deadline this year, it will still be for pitching as great as their pitching has been. There's going to be an innings crunch. You know, the thing that they were counting on Wainwright as much as him being an ace, you know, they were counting on him giving them giving them more than 200 innings. And you know, to have him replaced by Jaime Garcia, who has certainly matched Wainwright quality wise, but inning wise. You know, they, they, they don't expect him to be given near what Wainwright has, and they're going to need to rest both Waka and Carlos Martinez. 
kind of lower their innings as the season go along. So I feel like, particularly if you see the Cardinals kind of hang on to this big lead and give themselves a little breathing room, you can see how they would be looking for an innings eaters guy just to kind of relieve the pressure on, on Waka and Martinez because they'd love to have those guys if the Cardinals get to a position where they're in the playoffs. And the magic number for the Cardinals is 79, by the way. <laughs> it's July 1st, and the Cardinals' magic number is 79. Uh, the, uh, not that I'm counting. That actually, that actually feels high. I feel like it should be about 12 at this point. <laughs> yeah, it feels like 12. Uh, but uh, I think that speaks to, to they'd love to get in a position where they can have those guys ready for the playoffs. And they, so they'll probably need an innings either as, as the season goes along. Great, great stuff. Will Leach, senior writer, Sports on Earth. Never forget how jealous everybody is of you for being a fan of a team with such success. Thanks so much for your time. Jealous would be one word. Angry is usually the other, but I'll take it. I was trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> this has been the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm Mike Petriello. See you next time.